Now let us return to that portion of scripture that you heard read in your hearing, James and chapter 5. And we shall consider with the Lord's help, verse 1 through to verse 6. And our theme is the misery of greed. The misery of greed. The Old Testament prophet Amos had a controversy with the Lord's people. And in Amos chapter 2, after he had declared the oracles of God against the other heathen nations, Amos turns his attention to Judah and turns his attention to Israel. And the problem that Amos had with Israel was that same problem that we find here in these opening verses of James chapter 5. It is the oppression of the poor and of the afflicted. By those who are motivated by greed, filthy lucre, riches. And this is what we have here in James chapter 5. James being the Amos, as it were, here of the New Testament. Now today, nothing much has changed with men. Greed abounds within our society. This materialistic age in which we live, this uh, unknown affluent age in which we live, there's never been an age like this age in the history of men. Affluence abounds. People have many possessions of many things. And greed then is, we could say, one of the virtues of modern society. It is promoted really as being ambitious, achieving your goals, climbing that ladder of success. We are warned, aren't we, in the New Testament that the problem isn't with money, it isn't with riches, but it is the love of. The love of money is the root of all evil. So just as nothing has changed in a sense, there were those in James's day, there were those in the days of Amos, so there are those today in our age. So therefore, the danger for the church also remains the same. And what is the danger for the church? Well, there are two dangers for the church. Firstly, that are being attracted to the lives of or things of the greedy. We can become covetous of those who are themselves greedy because of the many possessions that they have and the life of ease and comfort that they seem to live. And the danger for the Christian is to be attracted to that form of worldliness, that form of greed and riches. We think of our young people on social media, they're bombarded with this. We have social media influencers and they're bombarded with lives that are really false. But they're lives that are driven by what? Driven by greed. So that's one of the dangers that remains for the church. But another danger is that in some cases, in some lands even today, Believers are taken advantage of by the greedy. They are oppressed by the greedy. 
Now this might be alien to the nation in which we live. But there are Christians spread throughout this world. Who are very poor. Who are very afflicted. And the greedy take advantage of them. Now both of these problems are dealt with here for our learning. And the misery greed brings to men is set before us for our warning. So let us consider then this misery of greed. Firstly, the misery of greed in the greedy themselves in verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Now we have this phrase again, go to now. We came across this last week in chapter 4, verse 13. Go to now. We can translate it literally in our language would be just a call, hey you. He's looking for someone's attention. Hey you greedy rich. Hey you filthy rich. Now, James is either speaking to the same believers that he was speaking to in James 4, verse 13, who gave no thought for tomorrow, who thought to follow their enterprise without giving thought to God, to follow their business, or James is speaking to others in connection with those believers. And I think here James speaks outside of the church. He speaks to those rich who he has already mentioned, who influenced, who brought pressure to birth upon these congregations. And those in James 4 and verse 13 who said that they would go here in this city, make this amount of money, do this and do that, they were being influenced. They were admiring these rich that James is now speaking to, these wretched rich outside of the congregation. See, we read of these already in James chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. These wretched rich ones who were influencing the congregations. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called. So James has already dealt with these wretched, rich, greedy men. They are those who are oppressing these Christians. And yet these Christians, remember in chapter 2, were preferring these rich men. They were giving them preference in the worship of God. They were putting them in important seats. While the afflicted were their footstools. James has already rebuked them for that. But we can conclude that these rich men that he speaks to in James 5 are the same as those who blasphemed a worthy name by which these Christians were called. They blasphemed the name of God. So we can ask the question then, is a call to repentance implied in verse 1? Is James calling these rich wretches to repent? Well, this is what Calvin said. For all that he says, that is James, tends only to despair. He doesn't give them any hope. 
He therefore does not address them in order to invite them to repentance. But on the contrary, he has a regard to the faithful. You see what Calvin's saying? James has his eye on the faithful who are being influenced by these rich men or who are being oppressed by these rich men. He has a regard to the faithful that they, hearing the miserable end of the rich, might not envy their fortune. So James is concerned with these faithful ones who lived in presumption of tomorrow. Remember, we will go here, we will spy, we will sell, we will make this much money. James is concerned for the faithful who are being influenced by these wretched rich men. He wants to show them their miserable end. Why do you seek to emulate these rich men when I will show you their end is but misery? Not only is their end misery, but their lives are misery. The principle of their greed brings misery to them and to their possessions. Don't envy them at all. Dear friends, the truth is that the greed of the greedy blinds them to their own misery. This is what greed does. Greed in itself blinds a man to the misery that accompanies greed. You see, whether that be present or future misery, these are both miseries unseen. As we will see. Because a man in his greed has present misery. As we'll see. Because his riches fail, fade, corrupt and are dying too. But also he's storing up misery for himself. That his riches will testify against him on the day of judgment. And yet these two miseries, present and future, are yet realities unseen by the greedy. Because he's blinded by his greed. Now this is the danger of worldliness. James has been warning us of these two things. Worldliness and self-centeredness. Both come together. And both are two great evils. And this is one of the great dangers with worldliness. Greed. Living for the this and the that. Living for things in the world. Dear saints, let us be clear that with the eyes of faith only do we see the misery that greed brings. And with the eyes of lust, we are blinded to the misery that (coughs) greed brings. What do we have? Do we have the eyes of faith? Or do we have the eyes of lust? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, speaking of worldliness, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, there's the eyes of lust. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, worldliness. So what do we have? James is exhorting these faithful Christians to Take their eyes and have eyes of faith and not eyes of lust for greed for the things of 
this world. So they are blinded to present misery. And you know that's the plague of covetousness. Thou shalt not covet. It's a tenth of the ten commandments. But the breaking of the tenth. And may I say that just because it's the tenth. Doesn't make it any less of a commandment than the rest. Doesn't mean that it's just last in the packing order. No. This commandment of covetousness. Will cause a man to break all the other commandments of the Ten Commandments. In his pursuit, in his greed, in his covetousness, he will willingly and freely break all the other commandments in his pursuit of things. That in itself, with eyes of faith, we can see that is a miserable condition for a man to be in. That is misery. To have this desire for things causing you to break all the other commandments. Miserable condition. But also there's the misery of discontentment. You know a greedy man might think that he is content with his things. He just hoards them up as we'll see. And this is where he might feel as if he's content. But his greed, the nature of greed itself. Teaches us that the greedy are what? Discontent. Because they always want more. And so their greed blinds them to this misery of being discontent with that which they have. And also they have this insatiable disposition. They're never satisfied. Never satisfied. But yet they might feel that they're the most satisfied in the whole world. But their riches can never fill them up to that satisfaction. These are present miseries that they are blinded to. An insatiable disposition. But they're also blinded to future misery. What is the future misery that they are blinded to? Well it is to judgment. And the day of judgment. What is their sin? They put themselves before God. You say well how do we say that with regards to the greedy? Well let's ask another question. What do the greedy live for? They live for their greed. They live for themselves. They seek only their own benefit. What is man by virtue of his creation, not of his redemption only, but by virtue of his creation, what is the obligation put upon all men that they must live to the glory of God? Whether they're able to or not is irrelevant. The command stands. Therefore, a man who is greedy, a man who lives for his greed, is storing up for himself misery for the future. For he fails to live for God. He's too busy living for his things. So that is the misery of greed in the greedy. But secondly we note the misery of greed in its futility. The misery of greed in its futility. Verse 2 and 3 and verse 5. Verse 2 your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against 
you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And then in verse 5, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. The misery of greed in its futility. You see, the greedy do not use their wealth to God's glory. This is one of the problems with greed. It's the use of your riches. Because I stress again, there is nothing wrong with a man having possessions. Think of the glorious riches of David and Solomon. It's not a sin to have riches, but it is a sin, as it were, to hoard riches. And that's what's being condemned here. They hoard the temporal as something eternal. He says, your riches are corrupted. That word there that's been translated corrupted can be literally translated hoarded. And what James is conveying is that their hoarding of their riches proves only to be corrupted riches. Because over time, they corrupt. But they here hoard as things temporal. They do not have their minds on the eternal at all. Now we find the exposition of this also in Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And we've noted, haven't we, in this book of James, how James relies upon the Sermon of the Mount. And very heavily. Matthew 6 and verse 19, what does Christ say? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and dust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. The futility of hoarding riches in this world, the futility of greed, is that their garments will become moth-eaten. Things rust. Things decay. Things die. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. So how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven with the riches of earth? We utilize them. We use them for God's glory. So we are not to hoard them for our own greed because they're worthless. They're temporal. But we are to utilize them in God's kingdom and for God's glory. And by doing this, we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. For Christ goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Imagine your heart being placed among your moth-eaten garments, your rusted metals. And that's the true picture of a man's heart who is greedy. It is a moth-eaten heart. It is a dying heart. It's worthless. Dear friends, a Christian shouldn't be a hoarder in this sense of greed. Now, I do know that we all have hoarders in our families. And I know that it's not out of greed. It's out of sentiment. Sometimes we don't like to let go of things. We have a husband who will rightly take everything to the dump after a few years. And we have a wife who will not let anything go to the dump. So we all have hoarders, but it's not hoarders in the sense that James speaks. It is a hoarder who hoards up 
for the purpose of greed. That they never have enough. They always want more. And he deals here with garments. And as we've noticed in recent and past studies in James, garments said something about a man. A prestige in society spoke of his wealth. James chapter 2, again, where we have these rich men. Verse 2, For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. What did they do? They had respect unto him who had the good garment, the gay clothing, as James calls it. So garments spoke of a person. And here they are being moth-eaten. And we have today a society that is fixed on fashion. It lives for fashion. And what about fashion? Well, it'll just be moth-eaten like everything else. It's temporal. It's useless. And James says, have become moth-eaten eaten. That's it literally translated. It's a certainty. They will become moth eaten. Perishing from the day of their manufacture. You see, how can we know of this? Because the seeds of death and decay are found in everything. From the fall of man, the seed of death and decay has permeated throughout the whole earth. Even in the very fabrics that make our clothing are subject to deterioration. The seeds of decay and death are all around us. That's why our garments become moth-eaten and futile. So persons and possessions, remember that. That's why greed is futility. Because persons and possessions have this seed of death within them. We will all ultimately die. In this life. We might die before our clothes. Or our clothes might die before us. But one certainty is. We're all going to die. The futility of greed. In verse 3. We're given a picture here. Of corroding. And rusting gold. Due to hoarding. That might sound, sound strange to you. That gold would rust. But we'll come to that. In a moment. What's he saying here with this picture of corrosion? Well, their wealth was not being put to good use. Its only use was greedy possession. One Puritan remarked, Some strong poison is made of the rust of metals, none worse than that of riches. So the rust of their riches is the poison of their soul. It's a fearful thought, isn't it? The greed of man. That which he is hoarding up is that which is killing him. His greed. Greed's a sin. And it's poisoning his very soul. This is what he says. Your greed will consume you. He says it here. And shall eat your flesh as it were fire. After your greed will witness against you, it shall eat your flesh as it was 
fire. He uses language here. It is God's wrath that will consume men in the day of judgment. But here we have James setting before them these riches that will be the testimony of God against them and the reason for which God will consume them on the day of judgment. Dear friends, what are we to do with this picture since gold doesn't rust? Your gold and silver is countered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Gold doesn't get eaten away with rust. So what are we to make of this picture? Well, James is giving here heaven's perspective upon a man's riches. Gold bar might not rust as it's in our possession. But if our greed has, as it were, accumulated that gold bar and all our hope is being put on that gold bar. What's heaven's perspective of that gold bar? Is that it's rusting. It's temporal. It's nothing. It's going to be the poison of your soul. And we should be concerned how heaven sees these things. For heaven is the testimony of God against these things. Should we not want to know God's testimony, God's witness against these things? Surely we ought to before we have to stand before God on the day of judgment. It may not rust, but be sure that the love of it is futile and damning to the soul of a man. My dear saints, the hoarding of the greedy bring them no benefit at all. But it does supply a testimony against them on the day of judgment. And that's what James says. You have heaped treasures together for the last days. This is the only benefit that these riches bring them. It is that God uses it to testify against them. The misery of greed in the futility of greed. And see, in verse 8 and 9 of this same chapter, James is going to touch on judgment. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He's warning them. The Lord draweth nigh. He's coming. Judgment's coming. He will bring judgment. And what will he do with your greed? He will employ it against you. Testifying against you. Verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. The judge standeth at the door, and he beholdeth all of your riches and all of your greed. And there is a divine case being made against you. And that case will be infallible. There will be a case that will bring judgment upon your head. So you see, I trust the misery of greed and the futility of greed. Only good for fattening up for the judgment of themselves. And that's what verse 5 teaches us. It teaches that they live in pleasure, that they live in indulgence and being wanton, 
Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. So all their greed is doing. And this is a fearful thought. I don't say it lightly. Because the greed of man is just fattening man up for the slaughter. For the day of judgment. One writer remarked. Sums it up well. These rich men James addressed were feeding themselves on their riches and starving to death. It's quite a picture, isn't it? They were indulgent and getting fat. And at the same time, they were starving themselves to death. Why? How? They were just fattening themselves up for judgment. So that's the misery of greed in its futility. But thirdly, the misery of greed in its wickedness. Verse 4 and (coughs) verse 6. Behold the hire of the labourers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Then verse 6. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you the misery of greed and its wickedness we all know that greed in and of itself is sin and that leads us then to conclude that a greedy disposition and practice is itself wickedness and sin not only a wickedness in itself but greed by its nature is a wickedness performed upon others. Why is that? Because there is no love for your neighbour in your pursuance of your greed. You will trample over the top of your neighbour in your pursuance of riches and of greed. The wickedness of greed is seen then in the cruelty of Others. And that's what we have here. The hire of the labourers. And those who use their riches in authority in the courts. Who condemn and kill the just. Might not be physical killing. But it might be the killing of character. It might be the killing of one's livelihood. They oppress them. And John Trapp made this solemn remark. One saith there is more justice to be found in hell than here among men. For in hell no innocent person is oppressed. That's some saying, isn't it? There's more justice in hell than what there is among men on earth. Why? Because innocent men on earth are oppressed. And there is no innocent man in hell to be oppressed. You see some within these congregations no doubt too were labourers. So just as James here in tackling these wretched greedy people was warning those who sought riches. He is also here concerned for others. Those who would have been labourers of these rich people. Those who had been defrauded of their daily wage. 
a wage that was held back from them. That's what is said here. Behold, the hire of the labourers have reaped down your fields, which ye have kept back. You haven't paid them their due. And a man was paid at the end of every day. So even if, he, if, the, if the rich man held it overnight, he still oppressed the poor man because he was to give him his wages at the end of every day. Dear friends, the testimony of biblical law and ethics Biblical law and ethics has always been one that is against the oppressing of the poor. Exploitation of the poor by the rich is forbidden in Scripture and is so then a practice that is wicked. Leviticus 19 verse 13 Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbour, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. That's what I've just been saying. The biblical law and ethical thing to do was to pay the labourer at the end of his shift. And if a rich man in his greed kept that wage back from him, even until the start of the next shift, that was considered as oppressing a man. Deuteronomy 24, verse 14. Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord and it be sin unto thee. So don't hold the wages back. Otherwise it is an oppression of the poor. And that's what these rich wicked men were doing. Now dear friends. This has wrongly caused some Christians. To become socialist in their mission. And quite a large portion of the modern church has imbibed socialism in its mission in the world. We think of Christians against poverty. And I had in my last job dealings with this organisation, Christians Against Poverty. And what their opposition to poverty was, the form that it took, was that the person who was in poverty... That all of the people they owed money to were to just clean that debt. Clean the slate. No matter what. Whether the person who was in debt ever had an intention to pay it, which is theft. Or ever tried to pay it back, which they should do. And this was Christians. And they had imbibed this socialist outlook. And we are to tend to the poor and to the oppressed. But at the same time, we're not to commit the other sin in robbing the rich. The rich have what they have through providence. We can't deny providence in order to rob them to relieve those who had never had an intention to pay. So we need to be careful as we approach this uh, relieving the poverty of the poor. We can't imbibe a socialist mindset. But what we ought to do is imbibe a biblical mindset. 
where we try to relieve those who are in poverty rightly. And we speak to those who are rich and we warn them against the sin of greed and greediness. One wicked practice cannot be traded for another. Rather, we exhort the right use of wealth and condemn any exploitation of the poor, no matter the cost. May not be a surprise to you for me to say that even the taxation system within the United Kingdom is unbiblical. Taxing the rich more than those who earn less is a denial of providence. If we are to have fairness and equity, all men should be taxed the same regardless of their wealth. And I say here that we must confront this wealth or confront this greed no matter the cost. If a preacher is going through a series like this and he has business owners in his congregation and he knows his business owners aren't paying their employees right, should he leave this tax to the side? Should he forgo preaching it? No, no matter the cost. This is God's truth. We are to preach these things. And in verse 6, we read a strange uh, phrase, and he doth not resist you. So, he is condemned by the rich, he is killed by the rich, and yet we read, and he doth not resist you. No resisting. No resisting. I wonder if any of these Christians who are oppressed would be members of trade unions. I doubt it very much. I doubt it very much for they put not their trust in trade unions, which have a socialist mindset, but they put their trust in God. They submit to God. Dear saints, that's because there is this humble disposition of these Christians that don't resist. They humbly submit themselves to God in prayer. And that's what James teaches us in James in, chapter four, um, in verse 4 here of chapter 6. What does he say? They cry to God. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the years of the Lord of Sabaoth. That is the Lord of hosts, of the captain of the armies of heaven. <coughs> They cry to God. They submit to God. They see that they are being oppressed. They do not resist man, but they submit to God. Now we should note the importance of the practice of prayer in times of trouble. And that's what we have in chapter 5, as we'll see. In times of trouble, the mature Christian... This is what James is trying to drive home, remember. The mature Christian, the holistic Christian. What do they do? They pray. We have this in verse 13 to verse 16. Verse 17 speaks of Elijah. Verse 18, prayer. This is what we do. This is how a Christian deals with such oppression. They pray to God. They hand it to God. God will vindicate the cause of the just. As the Lord of hosts in the heavens. The Lord will resist 
and bring hostility against these greedy oppressors of the poor. Dear friends, as we close, let us exhort ourselves to pray. To pray against such disposition of greed within ourselves. For we all admit we may not be like this, these wretched rich men who are greedy. But one of the natural tendencies, I know I'm always saying natural tendencies because it's true. The natural tendency of our hearts, we have to face up to these things. The natural tendency of the heart is towards greed, towards things, towards riches. And it is good for us to pray to the Lord that we would be content with the Lord. That we would be kept from this temptation of greed. Praying that our hearts would be guarded to this temptation. Our hearts would be guarded against worldliness and things. That's what life has become for people. It's a life of things. I have this thing. I have that thing. I have another thing. Things, things, things all around us. Let us pray against the temptation to worldliness and things. Let us pray for the brethren who are oppressed. You know, we're not oppressed and afflicted in this age in which we live in modern day Scotland. As these believers here in James chapter 5 or in believers across the world. Let us remember, let us make a point of making known lands where Christians are oppressed. Where they work long and their wages are kept from them. They're like slaves. We have to remember that a lot of Islamic nations, one of the tenets of Islam one of the, in the Islamic nations is that you're allowed to be a Christian as long as you pay, as long as you become a slave. And we have many brethren find themselves this day in such situations. Let us strive to where providence will afford us the opportunity to alleviate the poor. Now there's not much opportunity for that in this age in which we live because the state and the welfare system has taken over the role of the church. And not much opportunity is brought but when it is, let us pray that we would have the sensitivity, the conscience before God to see here is a need. Let us alleviate the poor, the oppressed. The misery that greed brings The misery of the greedy, present and future. The misery of its futility, it's wasting away. The misery of its wickedness imposed upon others. The misery that that greed brings should be motive enough for us, dear Christians, to flee from all presence of greed, all appearance of greed. Flee from it to Christ. Christ alone satisfies. You see, greed has this insatiable disposition that's never satisfying. But Christ satisfies. Let us then daily flee to Christ. For in him we will rise above such worldliness and truly be satisfied. Let us pray.